your Bibles to Jude. It's only one chapter, Jude, the book right before Revelation. Verses 20 through 23. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for your anointed singing this morning. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to pastor today, and um, I'm going to preach a sober message. But I hope you hear what I have to say. I know you will. Because this is something the Lord dealt with me about a while back, and I've been carrying this message. And I felt like I needed to preach it today. So whether you're in the room watching by live stream, I pray everybody gets their hearts plugged into what I'm getting ready to preach this morning. The book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, the Bible says this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion making a difference. And others save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm preaching this subject to you today. Pull me out of the fire. Pull me out of the fire. Pastor, today would you pull me out of the fire? Would you preach in such a way that it pulls me out of the fire? Lord, we need you in this room. God, and I pray that we'd have ears to hear and hearts to understand what your Spirit says. Lord, this is one of those messages I don't have the words all just right. But I know what's in my spirit, and so I'm depending on you, God, to translate what my spirit is trying to convey to this congregation. Help us today, Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The 9-11 Commission, which is the investigative body that was instituted after the attack on the Twin Towers on September 11, 2001, that commission credits a man by the name of Stanley Pramnath as the only known survivor from the impact zone at the World Trade Center Towers on that fateful day. The Lord saw fit for me to live. Says Pramnath. Who works in the banking industry in New York. His riveting tale of survival. Is chronicled in his book. Plucked from the fire. Co-authored with William Hennessy. He was born in Guyana. And he came to America. With very little money in his pockets in 1981. When he arrived. Pramnath landed a job in the garment industry in New York City, or excuse me, in Jersey City, New York, in New Jersey, where he earned $125 a week. 
Then he was able to secure a job as a file clerk for a bank in downtown Manhattan. Growing up in Guyana, his mother had insisted that he attend church, but he rebelled and he drifted away during high school. He said, One day I woke up in America and decided that I wanted to be a good guy. Whatever that means, he recalls. It was then that a friend called and invited him to church. The more I went, the more I liked what I saw, he said. And he was born again in 1983 in a spirit-filled church. A few years later, he married a pastor's daughter and started a new career with Fuji Bank. On the side, he helped his father-in-law plant a church in a rough neighborhood of Queens, New York. Within five years of coming to Fuji, he had advanced to assistant vice president running all of Fuji Bank's operations on the 81st floor of the World Trade Center, Tower 2. That floor was immense, approximately one acre square, and almost completely soundproof from the outside. He thought he was on top of the world. Even planes flew at the same level. When he would look down from the windows, everything looked small. He said that most of the people he worked with at Fuji Bank were either Buddhist or Shinto, there were only a handful of Christians. When most people would go to lunch, Premnath sat at his desk with the salad or soup reading his Bible. He tried to share about Christ when he had opportunities, but most just didn't want to hear. On the morning of September 11th, he was riding up the elevator to his office at 8.45 a.m. when Tower 1 was hit by the first plane. Riding in the elevator, Premnath didn't see or hear a thing. But as soon as he laid his briefcase down on his desk, he began to receive a barrage of phone calls, first from his mother and then his wife and brothers. Stan, are you okay? They asked. He said, yes, I'm, I'm fine. But nobody told him what had happened. He was wondering why his family was checking up on him. When he hung up, he looked out the window for the first time, stunned, to see huge chunks of fiery debris, fireballs falling from Tower 1. The other half of Fuji Bank's operations were in that tower, so he called to try to reach his boss, but there was no answer. He decided it was time to get out, so he jumped in an elevator and he headed down to the lobby. He was just about to go through the turnstile exit when a security guard stopped him. Where are you going? the man asked. I'm going home, he said. The security guard said, no, the building is safe and secure. You can go back to your office. Soon, an intercom was piping in that same message. Your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen. Building 2 is secure. There is no need to evacuate Building 2. Premnath got into the express elevator, and in less than a minute, he was back up to the 81st floor. Several of his co-workers rode in the same elevator. They were laughing and exchanging pleasantries, still not understanding what had happened in the other tower. When he got off of that elevator, he said it was the last time he would ever see them again. He walked into his office and the phone rang immediately. It was a woman from Chicago. Stan, Stan, get out of the building. He assured the woman he was fine. She said, but you're not logged onto the computer. Stanley still didn't know that it was a plane that had hit the first building. As he assured the woman that he was safe, he stood up near his desk, 
while he held the phone in his hand and just happened to look toward the Statue of Liberty standing in the harbor. Suddenly he saw a huge plane, gray in color, that flew straight at him. It was coming at me at eye-level contact, he notes. Pramnath could make out the letter U on the tail. It was United Flight 175. As the plane was getting nearer, I could hear a revving sound the engine was making. Like the sound a plane makes when it's about to take off, he said. Quadruple that sound, and that's the thing that I could hear, even in our soundproof building. I can still hear that sound in my head, he says. That sound will never go away. I'm standing up looking at this plane as it comes toward me, getting bigger and bigger. You don't know how fast your mind is reacting. In desperation, he cried out to God and he said, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. And he dove underneath his desk. Praying this Bible still set on the top of the desk. The plane slammed into the building with immense force. The bottom of the wing sliced through his office and stuck in his office door 20 feet away from where he huddled. There was a massive fireball as the major part of the plane blew up. The only desk that stood firm in the entire, on the entire floor was the one that I was hiding under. And he said it was because my Bible was on top of that desk. Every wall was flattened as if a demolition crew had passed through. Other than his desk, every single piece of office furniture was smashed like matchboxes. Part of the floor above his head collapsed downward, and all the cables in the ceiling were dangling, falling, and short-circuiting because the sprinklers came on. I thought, if the floor doesn't completely collapse and kill me, I'll be electrocuted, or the plane's wing is going to blow up and I'm going to die. Above him, a fiery inferno was raging. Fire had also broken out on his floor some distance away. But in his personal office, there was no fire. That's a miracle, he says. I was covered under the shadow of the Lord. Pramnath had no way of knowing that the clock was ticking and his building would completely collapse within an hour's time. He pushed debris away that was up to his shoulders. He couldn't completely stand up because the roof had collapsed downward. There was no way out of his office because the plane's wing blocked the only exit door. He let out an anguished cry to the Lord with every fiber of his being. Lord, send somebody to help me. I don't want to die. What will happen to my wife and my kids if I die? At that moment, Brian Clark, an executive vice president with Eurobrokers, was walking down the only passable staircase from the 84th floor with six other people. He happened to be the fire warden on his floor, so he had a flashlight. And when their group reached the 81st floor, they ran into a woman who told them to turn around and go back up, that it was not passable to go down. But at that moment, Clark heard somebody far away who screamed and banged on a wall. Help! Help! I'm buried! Is anybody there? Help! I can't breathe! The voice in the distance was prameness, and Clark decided that he would stop to help. The others turned around and went up toward the top of the building, thinking they could escape 
to the roof. Clark said later that there was something in frame that screen that compelled him to stay. His feet felt glued to the 81st floor. So while the others in his group complained about the smoke and fumes, Clark said that he felt as if there was a bubble of protective oxygen around his head. The smoke never affected him. Those who went upward all perished. They didn't know the exit doors to the roof were locked now after the 1993 terrorist bombing of the World Trade Center garage. Through the rubble, Prameness saw Brian Clark's flashlight in the distance. Clark called out in the direction of the screams, but Prameness couldn't hear because he was temporarily deaf because of the explosion. Instead, because he saw the light, he said, I started crawling as fast as possible toward the light because I knew if that man left me, I would die. Prameness could hear the air pressure sucking papers and other objects out of the shattered windows probably due to a vortex created by the inferno. It was pitch dark other than the darting flashlight he could see intermittently through the debris. After he crawled through the wreckage of three departments, he finally reached a ten-foot piece of sheetrock wall that was still intact. There was no way to get through it. His entire body was swollen black and blue by now. Clark shouted through the wall, Jump over it and I'll catch you on the other side. I can't do it, he shouted back. Think about your family, Clark replied. Premna tried to jump, but he missed and part of the ceiling caved in. As he reached up to prevent the ceiling from hitting him, a two-inch metal screw went through the palm of his hand. He cried out in pain and his body, his body pierced in the same place as his Savior. What happened, Clark asked. A metal screw just went through my palm. Bite it out and try again. He tried, he couldn't do it, so he hit the piece of wood attached to it, and it came out of his hand. Immediately his hand ballooned like a puffer fish. I began to plead with the invisible God, Prameth recalls. Lord, if you wanted me to die, why would you bring me all the way here? Who's going to walk my daughters down the aisle when they get married? What's going to happen to my wife? Who will take care of my children? I want to see my family. God, just give me the strength one more time. He prayed aloud. Clark could hear him through the wall. Because of the fumes and smoke, he could barely breathe. He was at the end of his rope. He started to look at the wall. And then he wound up that hurt hand. And he punched the wall as hard as he could. Miraculously, his hand went through two layers of sheetrock to the other side. It missed the supporting studs and went through the wall. That again, pregnant said, was the grace of God. There's no way I could do that now. Clark grabbed his hand momentarily and Prameneth pulled it back through and then began to punch wildly at the hole until he could get his entire head through it, then his shoulders. Clark grabbed him in a headlock and began to pull and finally he pulled with such force that he came through the hole. They both landed on top of the rubble and began to roll. He grabbed me and around and around and around we rolled together. We landed on the 80th floor. When they both got up, Clark slapped him and said, You could have died. Do you know that? Then he extended his hand. I'm Brian Clark. Stanley Prameneth, he said. They gra- he grabbed his hand gently and expected the wound. They were both bleeding. They had found each other. Blood brothers. Then he looked Prameneth in the eyes and he said, All my life I was an only child. I always wanted a brother. And today I've found one. They rubbed their hands together and then Clark took his hand and put it around Stanley's shoulder. Come on, buddy. Let's go home. 
They worked their way down 80 flights. They saw terrible sights. One man lay there with a broken, broken back, bleeding from massive head injuries. Tell my wife and my baby that I love them. We just got married. He gave him his name. They saw a security guard watching over another injured man as they waited for help to arrive. They offered to carry the injured man down. Don't touch him, the security guard said, thinking he was too badly hurt and believing paramedics would shortly arrive. That help never did arrive. The security guard could have escaped, but he made the ultimate sacrifice. When they made it to the lobby, they saw cops, emergency workers, and firefighters belching out orders. And they yelled to the two men, Run! Run! Run to Liberty! Liberty Street ran next to the World Trade Center. Run to church and liberty. The intersection of those two streets where there was a church. And that is where the, the survivors were going to. As they left, they shouted to them, Don't look up. Don't look around. Just run. Go. 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 They jumped over fallen debris and giant shards of glass on their way out. Broken glass falling from the sky like confetti. But not one peach, piece touched us, Stanley recalls. What a story of a man who just needed somebody to pull him out of the fire. I know it's a lengthy story, but it really sets the mood for what I want to preach. I want to tell you that the church today finds itself living in times of a raging inferno. In almost every direction, there is a fire of devastating and catastrophic proportions that seeks to destroy all that is good and all that is aligned with God. And you and I had better be careful that we don't fall in with the spirit of this age. We better be careful that we don't go along with the spirit of Antichrist, which we're told doth already work and is already among us. We've got to make sure that we pursue the things that are of God. What is this fire that is all around us? Well, Jude tells us exactly what it is if you read and study what he's saying. It is a fire that is kindled by our humanity. If you read the book written by Jude, it's very short. You'll find him contending with the saints of God to resist the carnal inclination to operate in our flesh. He tells us that what will cause our garment to be spotted by the flesh, he says it's this. These people are habitual murmurs, griping and complaining, following after their own desires, controlled by their own passions. They speak arrogantly, pretending to have admiration and flattering people simply to gain an advantage. He goes on to say that in the last days there will be scoffers following after their own ungodly passions. These are the ones who cause divisions. They are worldly minded, secular, unspiritual, carnal, sensual, unsaved. But worst of all, they are devoid of the Spirit. There is nobody in this room today that is exempted from the constant fight to live a godly life. The siren song of intense and unabated temptation 
For us to yield to our flesh is one that is always playing. And folks, it never, ever stops. In all nations and cultures, on every continent and across every sea, in every home and every place of gathering, it's always there if you will hear it. Playing its soothingly pleasant melodies for those who would listen to it. That it might bring them ever closer to a place of eternal destruction where time no longer has a chance at redemption. Daily we walk through this fire. And as children of God it behooves us to maintain our vigilance. That we might not become ensnared by it. Distracted by it. Or ambivalent toward it. We need to be vigilant against this fire that is burning. So I am preaching to every person under the sound of my voice this morning to remind you. I've got something to tell you. You have a soul. You have a soul. It's the most valuable thing that you possess. It's worth more than the house you live in. It's worth more than the car you drive. It's worth more than your friendships. It's worth more than any connections that you may have. You have an eternal soul. But not only do you have a soul. Your spouse has a soul. Your children has a soul. Your friends, they have souls. And while our humanity is temporary, your soul, ladies and gentlemen, is eternal. And one day it will live forever in one place or another. Either in heaven or in a lake of fire, your soul will live on. So I ask you this question today and I pray that you will ask it of yourself. What value do you place upon your soul? What is your soul worth to you? What would you give in exchange for your soul's eternal destination? Mark 8 and 33. The Bible says, But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. I tell you what, take me back to verse 32. And verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, verse 32. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and Peter began to rebuke the Lord. But Jesus says in 33, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get Thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. You don't savor the things of God, Peter, but you savor the things of man. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would accuse Peter? Think about it with me, church. Peter, who was a man who was convinced that he was fully committed to the Lord. He accused Peter of savoring, in other words, of striving for or having more interest in the things that appealed to people 
than he was the things that appealed to God. Now, you and I may look at that and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that. But I want you to think about this. Because this frightens me. Peter is a man who had left all to follow Jesus. Peter had left much more than any of us to follow Jesus. He had left his boat. He left his nets. He left, even it appears from Scripture, family just to follow Jesus. And he didn't have what we have this morning. All he had was the word of a man who walked out and said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's all that he had to go on. Yet this man who had given up all to follow the Lord within himself, he was still clinging things that appealed to his humanity more than those things that were of God. Peter was completely convinced that he was in right standing with the Lord. Yet Jesus said, You are more aligned with Satan, Peter, than you are with me. I wonder, some days later, when Peter was sitting alone, after having gone through the crucifixion and Pentecost and all of those things, when he got to finally sit down and have time to himself and meditate on all that had transpired, I wonder how glad Peter was for a Savior who turned around and rebuked him that day and pulled him out of the fire. When he rebuked Peter and he said, You don't savor the things of God, but the things that be of men. If you keep reading that passage, he says this, And when he had then called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man? What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the Holy angels if you study that scripture what Jesus is trying to get across to them is he is telling them you have to understand Peter and you have to understand disciples that your flesh is constantly pulling you away from the things of God don't you know that the flesh is enmity with God I was telling my wife what I was going to preach and she told me, she didn't tell me who, so I don't know if it's anybody with this church or somebody she works with or who or what. But she told me, she said, I had somebody tell me one time. They said, carnal's not such a bad word. He said, carnal's not really that bad of a word. It just means uh, our human tendencies. And it's not that big a deal. Uh, to be carnal, they said, is just to be benign. It's just, to, it's just to keep things at a level playing field. Maybe I'm not pushing into the spiritual things, but I'm, I'm just carnal. I'm not wicked and I'm not evil. And I tell you today, there is no level playing ground. There is no benign place. 
There is no fence to straddle. There, there is no lukewarm place, Laodicea. There isn't a place where you get halfway in and you can get halfway out and God be pleased with it. I know I'm preaching a strong message today. And you ought to thank God for your pastor to preach a message like this today. Because what we need more than anything, what you need more than a raise on your job, what you need more than better insurance, what you need more than some than somebody to come tell you you got an inheritance, what you need more than health in your body is you need somebody to pull you out of the fire and say, I won't let you go that way. Pull me out of the fire. Pull me out of the fire of my own humanity. We're in a raging inferno that we have created all of ourselves. Oh, how Peter must have rejoiced when he remembered the strong rebuke of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that when I tried to get you to not do what you needed to do, when my humanity was speaking out, thank you, Lord, that you rebuked me and you told me I wasn't thinking right. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you told me I had to cherish your words more than the things of people. Thank you, God, that you let me know that there was a, there was a foundation for my life of the word of God. That if I would hold on to this and I would make it the cornerstone of my life, that I would one day see you in glory. Thank you for it, God. What are we going to do to keep the fire from claiming us? Let me tell you what you've got to do. This is a big thing. You need to become connected to his church. Somebody say the church. You've got to be connected to the church. And I don't just mean any church. I mean an apostolic church. I'm not Just because it says church doesn't make it a church. Just because it's a group of people who say they love Jesus doesn't make it his church. And I thank God for everybody that loves the Lord. And I thank God for everybody that's trying as hard as they can. And I'm going to pray for them and reach for them that they'll come into full truth. But if you're in this room today, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of things going for you today. You're in a church today that knows how many gods there are. You're in a church today that doesn't pray to one or two or three, but we know to pray to one. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in a church today that knows how to baptize. We know that there's a name that is above every other name. We know that it takes the name to remit our sins. Not just a title, but it takes a name to remit our sins. You're already ahead of the curve. You're in a church today where we believe in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If you walked in here today and your cup is empty and dry, you can leave here today with your cup overflowing with the Spirit of Almighty God. So I'm not trying to be critical of anybody else, but I'm saying there's people in this room and you know too much. You have too much understanding of the Word of God. And we can't just be connected to anything that calls itself a church. We've got to be connected to the apostolic church. But even in doing that, hear me, even in doing that, you can be connected to a church and not be connected to God. You can come to this church, know when to clap your hands, know when to raise your hands, know when to sing, know when to pray, know what to do. 
You can have all of those calisthenics down just pat. But that doesn't mean you're connected to God. You can serve in ministries of this church. But that doesn't mean. Hear me. That does not mean that you're connected to God. I would to God that everybody would hear me preach right now. I hope everybody hears my voice right now. I hope everybody I pastor, if they're not here, I hope they hear this by way of the podcast. You hear me when I preach to you right now. Just because you serve in this church doesn't mean you're connected to the God of this church. We've got to get connected to Him. And that's not going to happen without prayer and fasting. It's not going to happen without you responding in every service. We've got to get connected to God. But just as that is true, I've got to tell you something else. Not only is it possible to be connected to a church and not be connected to God, but I'm going to tell you that you cannot be connected to God without being connected to His church. And if you're connected to God, you've got to connect to this church, ladies and gentlemen. If you're connected to God, you've got to get involved and plugged in in this church. I've got to be plugged in. You've got to be plugged in. We've all got to join together. I thank God that you love this church. And I thank God you love this pastor. Thank you for the way you honored my family last Sunday. Thank you for the kind things that you say to us. Thank you for when you come along and you encourage us. I thank you that you love me. But it's not just enough that you love God and that you love me. You need to get connected to this church. You've got to get plugged in. And we've got to make sure that we're not just connected to one or two. But we need to get connected to as many people in this church as we possibly can. I'm not, just, I'm not just friends with one or two in this church. I want to love all of you in this church. I know I've got I've kind of probably more meddling than I am preaching right now. But you need to hear me. I'm talking about pulling us out of the fire. Our humanity will cause us to just kind of close ourselves in. And we'll put ourselves in a box. And we'll get in our box. And these are the people I talk to. And these are the people I connect with. And these are the events I go to. And these are the places that I'm a part of things. And, and I'll show up at church when it's my thing going on. But I, I'm not going to make time to show up when it's somebody else's thing going on. You need to hear your pastor right now. Everybody in this church needs to do everything they can to get connected. And I'm preaching the scripture this morning. I'm not preaching my opinion. And I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. But you need to hear me right now. You've got to get connected. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let me tell you what that really means. You go study that and you're going to find out this is what Jude was saying. He said there's going to be some people. You're going to save them with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. It's a fire of humanity that is consuming them. That's pulling them in different directions. And if we're honest today, all of us go through periods of time where our flesh starts pulling us into various kinds of fires. I'm just going to leave my notes. Y'all just let me flow in the Holy Ghost right now. We will leave. We we get pulled into various things that, that just begin to burn on us. We get pulled into isolation and it burns us. We get pulled into bitterness and it burns us. 
We get pulled into jealousy and it burns us. We get pulled into envy and it burns us. We get pulled into frustration with others and it burns us. It's possible. For, and that all that is, folks, is a fire of humanity that is consuming us. And Jude said, some people, we've got to pull them out of that fire. When you see them going that way, you've got to reach and you've got to pull them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by flesh. What is he saying? This is what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to do all you can to reach them, but make sure that you don't go with them. Reach for them with everything you can, but don't let go of your foundation. Ethan, I can reach for you so long as I don't let go of what's holding me. Because I don't want you to be burned in the fire, Ethan. I don't want you to be burned in the fire. I don't want flesh to get a hold of you and, and destroy your life and rob you of your destiny and your future in God. I don't want the flesh to control you and pull you some direction, Ethan. So I reach for you with everything I got. I hope you remember your pastor preaching this one day when things are trying to pull on you. And I hope you feel me pulling back saying you can't go that way, Ethan. You've got to come with me. You've got to come with me. You gotta, you gotta come out of the fire. You gotta come out of the fire. You gotta come out of the fire. Why don't you just stay there and pray, buddy? That's fine. Why don't you just do whatever you feel to do right now? There's people in this room. I'm holding on to this with everything I got. But I'm wanting to pull you. Nathaniel, I won't let you go. I won't let you go, Nathaniel. I'm going to reach with everything I got. Now, if you get beyond where I can pull, I can't come to where you are. But I'm always looking for you. And I'm always reaching for you. And I'll always be here for you, Nathaniel. I'm going to pull you out of the fire. Lauren... Life's in such a transition mode for you. So much changing going on. What's my future hold? A lot of things up in the air. But Lauren, I'll pull for you. I'm going to try to pull you out of the fire. When flesh says, you know what? It's just, it's just, I'm too tired. School's been too heavy this week. I don't think I can make it to church today. I think I'm just going to stay home and try to recover a little bit. When the flesh says, I'm just worn out. I want to pull you out of the Savannah, when you're at the job and you're dealing with all the stuff you deal with, you walk through more things than, than this pastor does. I hear some terrible stories, but I don't hear anything like what you hear on a daily basis. And when all that's crashing down on you and you feel like the whole world is full of people who are evil and terrible... And you're trying to find just somebody who's good in the world and, and all that weighing you down. Savannah, don't let yourself get caught in the fire of all of that. And let that a job that God blessed you pull you in to where you become cynical. And you or become negative, And you don't think God's working anybody's life. you got to be pulled out of the fire. It's a fire of humanity. We've got to be pulled out of it. We've got to have somebody pull. How are we going to get out of this fire? I'm glad you asked because he told us. He said, if you want to keep yourself, go read it. If you want to keep yourself, this is how you're going to do it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. 
What do you mean? This is what I'm telling you. In order for you to overcome humanity, you've got to be filled with spirit. If you're going to overcome this flesh, you've got to be full of the spirit of almighty God. And there is no other way. There is no other way. It's spirit versus flesh. Over and over and over again, the scripture tells us it's spirit versus flesh. Esau was born after the flesh. But Jacob was born after the spirit. God was showing us in illustration, in real life, saying, I'm not going after what is firstborn. I'm coming after that which is born of the Spirit. And he was saying, this is where my blessing rests. And this is where my hand is going to rest. Esau didn't have the blessing. Esau didn't have the birthright. But Jacob did. So, Pastor, pull me out of the fire. Mom, Dad, if you're a young person, you better hear me. Let your parents pull you out of the fire. Friend, if you really love my soul, pull me out of the fire. I'm going to ask you today, what distinction is there between you and this world we live in? Is it just your dress? It needs to be that. But if it's only that, that's not enough. There's got to be a distinction. The Spirit of God has to rest on. Everywhere I go, I need the Spirit to lead me and to guide me. It's a cloud by day. It's a holy fire by night. Do you love your soul enough? If you're a part of this church, and y'all better get ready because I'm getting ready to do it. And that lady's getting ready to do it too. Do you love your soul enough? For this pastor to be able to come to you and say, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. I see some things that give me concern for you. And I don't want you to get burned by the fire. Do you love your soul enough for your pastor to come pull you out of the fire? Do you love your soul enough? For your pastor's wife to come pull you out of the fire. We must be full of the spirit. So that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've got other notes. But I feel like the Holy Ghost is working in this room today. You've got to be connected to the church. You've got to be connected to the church. That is the body which the spirit inhabits. That's where the Spirit dwells and rests. We've got to have the Spirit. Folks, we've got to be led of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will never, never, ever pull you away from the church. But the fire of our humanity will. And there's all kinds of fires. And I tried to demonstrate that with what I shared with them today. I tried to demonstrate that. Sean, you can go through things like you've gone through. If you're not careful, it'll pull you out of the fire.
so glad when you came here. And I was so glad the way you got plugged in. And at times, I'm sure things want to come back up, but don't let it ever pull you out of the fire. Don't let a sickness, we're believing for a full miracle. We haven't seen the full miracle. But don't ever let frustration with a sickness pull you out of the fire. Don't let anything from the past pull you into the fire. Don't let some hurt pull you into the fire. Don't let some offense pull you into the fire. Don't let misunderstanding pull you into the fire. Don't let lustly desires or fleshly carnal things that you want to do pull you into the fire. Oh God, pull me out of the fire. So I preach today to reach for people. And I feel like this is a message to our entire church. And I'd like us to find a place to pray right now. And there needs to be a cry of repentance go up from all of us. I'm going to join you today. I'm going to join you today. There needs to be a cry that goes up. (laughs) says, save me. Oh, if there could be a Stanley Pramnith here today. That you find yourself in the midst of that inferno. And you say, how can I get out of here? There's a pastor here, and I'm waving a flashlight. And I'm saying, come this way, and I will pull you through the wall. And we will get out of this terrible blaze that we're in. Let us find a place to pray. Would you kneel? Would you come to the altar? Whatever you got to do. But I wish we wouldn't be hesitant to lift up our voices this morning. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let there be a travail go up right now. Let there be a travail go up right now. You that are watching live stream, let there be travail go up from you right now. Don't let anything pull you into the fire. Don't let anything pull you into the fire. God, get me out of the box of my humanity that I put myself in. God, pull me out of this. Pull me.